Welcome to Covenant Church's Sermon Discussion. This conversation happens most Wednesdays on Facebook Live between me, Michelle Lichty, the Communication Director at Covenant, and the Preaching Pastor from the previous Sunday. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to the sermon before listening to our discussion. Well, good afternoon. I am Michelle Lichty, and I am here this afternoon with David Henderson. Hi, you are. And David, we are here to discuss your sermon from this past Sunday. Um, this, I tell you what, these very short sermon titles kind of th- have been throwing me off. I know. <laughs> Where? Right. <laughs> Based on Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, we have been in the same passage um, for this whole month, which has been great just to be digging deeper and looking at this passage from a bunch of different um, perspectives. And so this past Sunday, the question was, where, where did this happen? And you um, gave us a, you, you put up a slide with all of the where words, which sounds a little bit like werewolf. Right, exactly. <laughs> where words in this passage, um, and there are a lot of them. Yeah, there are a ton of them, and it's it's so interesting to me when you start opening up. You know, we just to step back for those mm-hmm. of you who haven't been part of these Wednesday conversations. The these um, questions, what, where, when, why, how? You know, those those kind of classic uh, interrogatory. Um, applications that you bring in to kind of open up something. Uh, I think it was Robert Louis, no, Rudyard Kipling, who has a poem who talks about how valuable those are to just, as you go through life, to have those questions. But also specifically the inductive Bible study approach is one Mm. that says, let's just ask a few basic questions and see what gets opened up just by asking those questions of the text. And it has been so striking to me because the, the, the list of when words is just as long, if not longer. And it's fascinating when you bring one of those questions to a text like this or any text, how it mm. just starts, it's like, oh, okay, I never really noticed that, the connection it's making between this time and this time or or between this place and this place. And mm. so I, I've had a lot of fun with it and, um, and I hope that the congregation has as well. I, it does really bring you to kind of, to see the text in a fresh way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there were a whole lot of different kinds of where questions we could have answered, but it did it did really seem like kind of the obvious focus was Bethlehem. But then as I go on to say in the sermon, but actually, uh, I do really yeah. think that there is a larger frame of reference than just Bethlehem or even Nazareth, Nazareth and Bethlehem that that absolutely governs and dominates this passage. And it's mm. the one that comes through in the in the the host of angels uh, declaring what the result of this birth will be. Yes. And I like, I mean, I loved that illustration that you had in your sermon of the, um, the two realms, the earthly realm and the heavenly realm and how in this moment, those two realms, just, they, they touch and, and overlap for just a, a little bit before they kind of separate a little bit more. And I put the air quotes there because really they aren't separate except in our minds, right? 
in our minds, but also in our experience, there is the spiritual experience that humanity has that is marked by this horrible stark moment in Genesis three, when the garden Mm. is sealed off and that which had been fully intermingled, the realm of heaven and earth is now separate and humanity from that moment forward has this a profound sense of a gulf between us and God. We, that's part of our spiritual experiences, fallen human beings. So is there any place I can be where God isn't? No, but in terms of my experience as a fallen human being, now there is, now there right. is a separate realm. God rules there, wherever there is. And I am here. There's that sense of a, of a, of an apartness. And that's mm-hmm. what makes this bringing together of these two realms all the more powerful. It's not like, oh, just that was a cool moment. No, right. this is the reversal of the thing that separated the two realms in the first place, which is mm. breathtaking. Oh, it is. And I'm just um I'm just reminded of the devotional this morning with from Biola. They had a they had the um the artwork was from Rembrandt, one of his quick drawings in his studio, um, pre-painting study and it was of this moment of when the angels appeared to Mm. the shepherds and just seeing his just seeing his thoughts on that his visualization of that moment of the darkness around the edges and then the bright light of Mm. the angel um just appearing I, i mean it's just yeah, it's really striking. Yeah. And just as an aside, uh, we um, I don't remember if you were here yet, Michelle, when I did this. I did a, um, a, I started one year with a series where we looked at some different uh, gospel um, moments, different moments in the life and ministry of Jesus. And each of those, I found one of those Rembrandt quick, very quick sketches. Oh. And, and I was so struck that, um, that in fact, I've just been thinking about this the last few days, Rembrandt's um, uh, pen sketches and his, uh, and his pencil sketches are like an inductive Bible study of a passage. It's incredible what he Hmm. captures. And, and I was actually just thinking about the possibility of doing a book, going back and finding those, those drawings that specifically relate to these moments in Jesus's ministry. I've seen like six or eight or 10 of them. And then do combining them together with a study, and because they are they are so striking, he captures things with such astuteness and perceptiveness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's interesting. I think that longing for heaven, for contact with God, is such a pervasive one. One of the things I say in the sermon, just a little bit farther in, is that the where question that is the most important where question any human being can ever ask, and asks, I believe at the level of our soul all the time is where is God to be found? Hmm. We go through life with a sense of, ah, where is he? I know there's more. Um, where is that person to whom I belong? Where is the place I belong? And we feel removed from that spiritually. Hmm. And Jesus is the one who, who comes and says right here, God hmm. is now with us uh, in the person of Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it is, uh, it is breathtaking to, to wonder and it is all mercy and grace. Right. And it's not part of that where God goes, um, oh, okay, now I see that you finally got your act together as human beings. Now <laughs> you 
now you merit my kindness and my attention. Nope. All grace. Right. And it's in, you know, it's in his timing as well, right? It's not, um, it wasn't that, okay, now you've asked for me to come long enough yes. for me to actually do it. It's, it was just like, he was orchestrating the events and as the events unfolded over thousands of years, now is the time. Yeah. Now is the Michelle, time. I think that's and this such is an important. Place. I think that's such an important observation because I think <clears throat> the dilemma of why God acts when He does, mm. which often is why He doesn't act when He doesn't act, um, I think is one of the places where we collide with the mystery of God and his loving purposes almost as much as in any area. Um, yeah. And, and I, and you're, I, I think that the recognition that this is something God has planned, it's something God has promised. It's something that he carries out the whole unfolding of the scrolls and revelation in his perfect timing. He's going to bring all this to its conclusion. You know, how does that fit with what I experience? And, mm. and I think that's, that's a place where we're just thrown into mystery and either we rely on our own capacity to understand it, in which case we'll inevitably be disappointed with God, or we, we approach God with a posture of trust. I, I don't understand how all the pieces fit together, but I'm a creature. You are the creator. Um, my mind is finite. Yours is without limit. Mm. I choose to trust you <clears throat> even when it, uh, I'm in pain and mm -hmm. I'm waiting. And I think that um, how oh, that brought to mind something and then I lost it. And then I'm like, oh, but I need to think about how I'm going to say it. And then now it's completely gone. <laughs> Welcome to the week before Christmas. Well, if it wanders uh, back through, uh, goodness. make sure you say it. Yes. Well, I think um, it's, I think we need, this is what I was going to say. I think we need time and space, right? Like if we as humans need time and space to ponder the mystery. I mean, the mystery of, I just read an email this morning, the mystery of the creator being held by the created, right? Jesus being held by Mary. Um, and comforted and completely helpless and yeah. and completely dependent upon a person whom he create who he created like it's just such a profound profound mystery um that we we just need time and space and silence to be able to meditate on that and think about that and and have it shape us in a way that we can't even articulate or understand. Yeah, and I think that's so important, Michelle. And I think, uh, as you know, few people really take the time to guard uh, to carve out that sort of um, pocket of time. But I think without intentional time for reflection, mm. we only live in reaction 
instead of reflection. And that reaction is just, why isn't life going the way I want it to go? And the only time we experience rest is on the other side of reflection, the kind of reaction, reflection, rest. And, mm. and we can't find rest in our immediate reaction to what's going on around us in life because it so rarely lines up with what our desires or expectations are. And we have to have, you know, the, my circumstances in one hand, the word of God in the other hand, my heart open and time to let God begin to bring his ahas of, by his spirit. And mm-hmm. I, oh, okay, I'm beginning to see a way that you are at work in that or, mm-hmm. or even not seeing that I am reminded again of how worthy of my trust you are. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and when we, you know, when I hear you say many, many people, many of us do not take that time and space to have that silence, that quiet, that time of reflection, you know, my immediate response is, but do you know what my schedule's like? You know, do you know what, um, do you know how early my children get up? Right. Like that, that was my reaction for the first, you know, 10 years that I was a mom. Like, do you understand how can I have this time? And the reality is, um, God is gracious to, I think, multiply our time. And so if, you know, I could never, ever, ever, ever get up earlier than my children. Never. I would try. And it was like, they, they had this sixth sense and they were out of their beds at 545. And I'm like, ah, they've been up for two minutes. But, um, you know, mid-morning is about the time when, when they were all fed, they were all happy. I had read to them. So their emotional buckets were full. Their physical bodies were full, you know? And so there would be a moment when they were all playing nicely together. And that's when I could sit on my couch and I could re, you know, open my Bible and look at a passage and, and think about it and pray about it. Um, you know, sometimes in the car, if the kids were at home with, with, uh, with their dad and I was out in the car, then I could have a moment of time of reflection. And so I don't want our audience to think that, you know, the ideal time is in the dark at 6 a.m. for 30 minutes. I mean, that may be ideal, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God doesn't see us in our moments at 10 a.m. on the couch or at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon um, in the, in the car. He, I think he can take 30 seconds or two minutes or five minutes and multiply that effect in our life in a miraculous way. I, I completely agree. And I think um, it, we are so helped when we think ultimately this is about uh, the, the Lord of the universe and the giver of my life and the one who loves me more than anyone ever could begin to love me says, Mm. I want to give myself to you today. And so we are, when we turn to him, even in those brief moments, it's not, I'm doing this because somehow on top of all of these other things that I've got to perform for and got to get done, this is on my to-do list too, because I don't want to disappoint God today. That's, it's, it's inverting it and thinking, no, this is, am I going to eat today? 
it may be really hard for me to find a time to eat, but this is taking in that which is even more important than our food. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and this is, he is life and he delights to give himself to us. And I think when we like the, the God of compassion and kindness who totally understands our life and, and its struggles and its challenges and hardships is saying, I am, I'm just wanting to give myself to you. Then I think then it, it turns the motivation for those times. And then we're grateful for the few minutes we have instead of feeling guilty for the few minutes we have. And yes, we exactly. see them as gift. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's also helpful to remember that God sees us, right? He saw oh, the absolutely. shepherds in the field. Yep. And they're, you know, keeping watch over their flocks by night, you know, keeping watch for the predators, making sure that the sheep are safe. And they're, you know, sitting around the fire talking about whatever, you know, that lamb that has the broken leg or whatever that they're discussing. And here God shows up in the form, you know, he sends his messengers to show up and bring light into that darkness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the one who says in Isaiah 40, though, he is the, the one who created everything. He's also the one that gently carries those with young. And, you know, it's, that's like, wow, that the majesty and the intimacy of God, both. Yeah. yeah. Which, which brings us a little to the second half of the sermon. Um, you know, you were talking about that picture of, wow, the, the how, um, how beyond fathoming that a created being is holding the creator. The, the whole idea that, you know, Jesus comes down into human history and misses the obvious place for him to land by three miles. Hey. That there was this absolutely lavish, extravagant um, palace on a man-made mountain that had a 360 degree view of the entire valley and the mountains beyond it. And that was uh, surrounded by gardens and pools and everything else. I mean, a setting perfectly suited to receive a king. And then here's Jesus landing in a cave uh, mm. filled with manure, covered with soot and, and stinky and, and dirty. And, and yet God knew exactly what he was doing in this, this descent of Jesus from heaven to earth, a descent from being God to entering into the human experience and human flesh. And then this further descent of coming as servant and a further descent of laying down his life for us. So this, that one of the things I, I talked about in the, in the, um, in kind of in mapping this passage is that God comes to heaven to bring us up to him, but he also comes to heaven to begin to establish us on a downward trajectory down mm. into a posture of humility, down into a posture of, of service, down into a posture of others mattering more than us. And, and that pattern begins when he arrives in Mary's arms and comes as this humble baby in this, um, in this pretty yucky setting. And, right. and it was the perfect setting for him as the King of the universe who came in humility to invite us into a life of humility. You know, it, it, um, it always challenges me that the only two words that Jesus used to describe his attitude or his outlook are the words gentle and humble in heart. 
um, mm-hmm. and you know, not proud, not fierce, not strong, not courageous. It's those are the only two words he used to describe himself. And then Paul comes around in Ephesians and uses those same two words and says, that's how we should be. And, mm. and I, I, so I think um, I'm really challenged. I'm moved and my breath is taken as I think of heaven coming to earth. And then mm-hmm. I'm just deeply challenged and probed by the example of Jesus's life, of this life of self-relinquishment and self-emptying and, and self-forgetfulness, to use the term that Augustine uses. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am too. And it's, um, it's so profound that it's almost uh, hard to, to articulate, like how, how much when I am focused on Jesus, when I'm focused on the nativity, on Jesus coming to earth, how much I recognize how selfish I really am. Right. I think, I think that's, you know, that is, that is part of that trajectory of the, the more we see and meditate on, on Jesus, the closer we get to him, the more profoundly we recognize our own sinfulness. I, I absolutely. And I think Michelle with that, I'm sure it's your experience also that the, the fruit of that pursuit of him also is he does in us what we are utterly incapable of bringing about in ourselves. I, I'm there, there's no way I can make myself less selfish. I can't. Right. I, I, that is impossible. It's outside of my capacity to do that. But God within me in the, in the person of the Holy spirit can do that. In fact, the fruit of the spirit are so much of a description of what selflessness looks like of love and patience and kindness and, and so on. Um, so mm-hmm. I think um, that that uh, out and down trajectory of the Christian life is the fruit of the work of God in our lives. And so the I think we can get daunted when we feel confronted by our selfishness. But if we just stay put for a moment, we'll realize that even that awareness is a sign that God is already by his spirit beginning to form in me a different outlook, uh, which is valuing the people around me and delighting in them and seeing them with eyes that give them honor and dignity, regardless of who they are and regardless of what their choices are. And, uh, and, and seeing the, the finding joy in laying our lives down um, in serving others rather than needing to be first. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's um, one of the illustrations you used in your sermon was that as Jesus as a bridge, um, which you kind of indicated with your hand gestures, like he's the bridge up to heaven to, to, to know God. And he's the bridge. um, Let me find my notes here. He's the bridge uh, down to My notes say, and lower compared to others. 
<laughs> not sure. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's that. Yeah. The, the bridge um, in terms of the work of, of redemption, he's the one who brings us to God, who lifts us up to heaven and closes that gap. But in terms of sanctification, he's the one who brings us down with him in this this downward yes. walk and and what you're Humble. referring to yeah. is that is the verse from philippians chapter 2 where uh it describes that self-emptying life of jesus not not seeing his divinity as something to be clung to but emptying mm-hmm. himself the past right before that it talks about considering others more important than yourselves and and not right. not going through right. life with self-seeking ambition but valuing others and elevating them putting them first uh, yeah. Yeah. And it just brings, it just brings a whole no, new level of appreciation to a very familiar story to many of us. I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I was just thinking, right. As you said that uh, when I was a little kid and I mean, you know, my story, I very quickly began to lose spiritual interest because I didn't, I didn't think it for a whole variety of reasons, but um, I had a lot of questions and they didn't get answered. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember playing as a little kid with our nativity set in our living room. And, you know, it's at that point for me as a kid, this is a kind of a strange tale of a baby who's born in a faraway place. I'll probably never go to. And um, wow. Camels. That's so interesting, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and why the, why the stable? And that was about as far as I got. And both of these things that we're talking about today as we, as we widen the arena and considering the, the where question, it, it to me, it does absolutely um, plumb the depths of the significance of that event. It's, this is so far beyond just a baby is born or even a unique baby is born. This is heaven descending to earth. This is, heaven opening the way to heaven for those of us here on earth. And this is the beginning of a pattern of this downward trajectory of a life of self-relinquishment and self-denial into which we're called as the people of God, uh, for which he equips us as he forms the likeness of Jesus in us. I mean, wow, it's all this, that's so much more than there was a manger and there was a stable and there were wise guys and wise guys and shepherds and the fields and sheep and yes yes so as we celebrate christmas this weekend um the the (laughs) i was good the visual i am picturing is of an icon i saw recently with jesus or Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus and Jesus. Um, and it looked like they were in the bottom of a well. Mm. And, um, you know, Mary is kind of curled up in a, in a half circle and Jesus is in the manger, but it looks also like a coffin mm. and, um, and the well. And so it's just the perspective. It made you, it made me look mm. in at, at that scene and think about Jesus as a baby and as a baby who would die on my behalf. Um, And so just keeping that perspective of 
the creator of the universe mm. loving us enough to become that tiny and helpless. Mm. I think for me that. Yeah, I love that. And that's really powerful the way it in some ways captures the incarnation event from God's perspective, that looking down into the well, this is kind of that, uh, and here's, it was, I sent my son to die for humanity. I mean, that's really powerful. And yeah. Um, and this temporary shelter that Mary's body provided before Jesus stepped into the, into the world. Uh, yeah. So we walked through these questions of what happened and who was involved and where did it happen? When did it happen? And, and along the way we've been hinting, but on Christmas Eve is when we go back and say, so what was the point of all of this? What's the, mm. um, how would we answer the why question? And, uh, and that will be fun to be able to open that up. I hope the weather allows us to be able to gather on Christmas Eve to come to that kind of crucial, um, you know, all of that that we just described, the depth and the profundity of it is also meant to be something that, that touches and transforms each one of us who is brought into that scene. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it'll be fun to explore on Christmas Eve what that means and what that can look like. I think the question is why. Yes, it is. Why? Why would the, why would he do this? Why is this important? Yes. Why did he come? Yeah. Which is exactly. a very important question to answer. Yeah. So, well, thank you, David, for your time today. Yep. Joy to be with you. Thanks for yours. And thank you to our audience for joining us today for a few minutes of your day. We really appreciate the time you spent here. And I hope to see you on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I hope so too. Yes. Yeah. All Great right. to be have, with you all. Have a wonderful day. Bye.